Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. First off, uh, today, in case it sounds a little bit different, we are actually recording this episode outdoors. It's such a beautiful day, we figured we'd bring out the equipment and sit out here and enjoy the weather and let you listen to the birds. Out here on Glenn's deck, that is. So you may hear the occasional breeze or rustling or cars driving by or neighbors shouting at each other, who knows. (laughs) All right, that wasn't actually a bird. Right. But anyway, today's topic that we will be discussing is legality issues associated with putting on a production in community theater. We've hinted at this many times before, and we've discussed it part way, but I mean, there's a lot of contracts and things you're supposedly allowed and not allowed to do that, uh, well, frankly, a lot of theaters do anyway, and we're just going to talk about that. (laughs) Well... In general, as we've alluded to in the past, for community theater, you do actually have to apply to get a performance license to do the production. Even though it's nonprofit, nobody's getting yep. paid, there are still requirements to actually get the rights to perform. And the production companies are getting paid. So it's not that nobody gets paid, it's that you have to pay for the rights for these. So. That's true. So By getting nobody paid. getting paid, I mean as in, in people in directly end. involved in your production. Yes. Uh, but certainly the playwright wants to get paid. Right. And this is really their main avenue to be able to have that happen. So Yeah, I mean, there's only so many Broadway theaters out there, so they're going to be getting a lot of stuff from their theaters, or excuse me, from their shows being performed in perpetuity in community theaters and, and other small regional theaters. Correct. Most plays in general are licensed by two major publishers. And that's uh, Samuel French and Dramatist Play Service. Yeah, there's a few other smaller ones out there. Which are the names of which are escaping me at the moment? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, dramatic, uh, dramatic playwrights, dramatic arts, something like that. There's a dramatic something. Okay, not dramatists. No, not dramatists. It's dramatic something. Uh, yeah, and there's dramatic a few other, something. Yes, dramatic. If you something. know the answer to something, please email <laughs> us at podcast at backstage dot link. Or just be patient. I'll look it up while we're uh, discussing <laughs> it. <laughs> yes, we do have uh, the web at our disposal, yes. and we will be using it today. But those are the two major ones, and. Obviously, it doesn't cover everything because some... There we go. Are you ready for some of the others? And there's actually... Oh, okay. When you start talking about musicals, then you've got uh, Tam's Whitmark, which is very big. Okay. Uh, the Music Theater International. Those are the two big musical houses. Okay. There's also... It's a Sam French we mentioned. We mentioned dramatists. There's a Pioneer Drama. There's Dramatic Publishing and Broadway Play Publishing Incorporated. Wow. So, yeah, there are th- those are the smaller ones. I've got them all bookmarked, you know, just to be going through them. And there are some playwrights out there who have not uh, contracted with a publisher, per se, or they're self-publishing. Yeah. And which that, means that if you happen to come across one of their shows and want to do their show, you'd have to contact them directly. Contact them directly, yes. And, and there's also... Or if they have an agent, or however right. that works. And there's times that uh, there'll be a play that's available for rights licensing in countries other than the U.S., which technically we are an international podcast, but generally... Well, our knowledge is based on... Yes, our knowledge is based on the U.S. of A. and Pennsylvania and in partic- Philadelphia area in particular, and, but yeah. those options are out there. There there have been uh, there was a show that I tried to license years ago that we could only find availability in the U.K. for, so hmm. I ended up not submitting it because we couldn't figure out what the rights issues were in the U.S., whether it was just unavailable at the time or just not available in this country. Yeah, availability is a tricky thing because if it's a show that's just premiering on Broadway, 
uh, there will be some length of time before it becomes generally available for licensing for performance by anybody. Right. And then you don't know if there's a regional production in your area, they, you might not be able to get the rights. Yeah, it could be a show that's already been available for a while, but for some period of time... Mm-hmm. Uh, or after even a certain period of time, it may no longer become available for whatever reason. Yeah, and we've talked about how that's happened, at least with me. I'm not sure if, if you've encountered it as much. Not directly, no. um, but theaters that I've been involved with have had this happen on more than one occasion where mm-hmm. they had to, they couldn't get the rights to their first choice, so they had to, that's why it's good to have backups when the play selection takes place. Because yes, it is. this is not uncommon. No, it's not uncommon at all. I, I used to think it was mostly... Musicals that dealt with this issue, but uh, I, I don't Not at work all. with musicals, and I've had the, that come up for me a couple of times now. So, if you're thinking about doing a production, you would have to apply to get the license, licensing rights for your show, and there's not really a set fee, as I've come to learn, right. about how to do that. So what I learned is I was perusing the, in particular, the Samuel French website this morning, and I went through just a sample of, okay, if I wanted to apply to get the license for a particular play Hmm. there's a little it's an estimation tool right and what it asks you is uh several things about what your production would be including where it's going to be located because another thing i learned is that particular metropolitan areas like new york and los angeles it's a bit more difficult more expensive (laughs) possibly more more expensive yeah what your ticket price range is going to be Mm -hmm. your theater's seating capacity uh, the number of performances, any salaries that you're, or, well, I guess it's not really salary, but any, anybody's on your staff who's going to be paid. paid. Right. And what I found, I just tried a couple shows. I just went through this exercise of entering in that information typical for a community theater. Right. And the rates do vary a little bit depending on what show I was talking about. Yeah, it does vary by show, and I think it's generally, it's kind of based on how much money the theater is going to make on it. So the more money the theater is going to make, the more they're going to charge you for the rights for it. Right. So if you're doing more productions, it's more performances, rather, it's going to cost you more. If you have a larger seating capacity, it's going to cost you more. Sure. And I think there's tiers with that. I don't think it's, you know, like a I difference right, between yeah. 51 and 52 seats. No, I think one of the two sites, either Samuel French or Dramatist, had some sort of a tier around 250 seats. Yeah, which most community theaters are, are below 250 seats. Yeah, uh, for... For my test cases, I was saying 150, mm-hmm. which is probably fairly typical. For yeah, yeah. 100 to 150, I would say, is pretty yeah, typical. I think so. I think that's generally what I've dealt with. So then once you've applied for that, if it is available, then they'll have a contract sent out to you that has to be signed. So every show that's getting done has a signed contract. Okay. And yeah, I haven't really been directly involved in the contract yeah, part I, The of board it usually takes care of that kind of thing, and you'll usually have a, like a productions person on the board that's, that's responsible for getting... Uh, those contracts in I'm not I, I don't know if it's you know like a president of the theater that has to sign it or anything like that I, I know I've served I thought I served as production somewhere but I could be mistaken with that but yeah once all those contracts are in they're all signed they're all filed away by the theater which they usually take care of before they announce the season yeah because they don't want to announce a show and then lose it. <laughs> oh, wait, never mind yeah well we had that uh, barley sheaf again had that happen this year they, they caught uh, uh, death trap which is what I was supposed to direct. Right. They caught that before we announced things. But uh, there was a musical, I think, I'm trying to remember what it was, Lucky Stiff. So they were supposed to do Lucky Stiff, and they announced that they were doing Lucky Stiff, and then they quickly had to rescind that announcement because Lucky Stiff was not available, and they switched that one to the pajama game, I believe. So it, it it's not infrequent, and it's usually best to make sure you've got everything before you're announcing it. And I think uh, depending on 
since we're near a metropolitan area, it's not mm-hmm. New York or Los Angeles, but I think some of the reasons why a show may or may or not may or may not become available is because of a local production potential yeah. of a local production, mm-hmm. uh, professional production in particular. Uh, that may be happening around the time. One other thing uh, that was pointed out, I never thought of this, but um, yeah. I think one of the websites had an FAQ and mentioned something about exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean if you apply for the rights at your theater and you get the rights, it doesn't necessarily preclude another theater in the general region possibly from also being Doing able to get the, the rights. Show, yeah. Which, you know, you may become concerned about that because – now you're potentially competing with another theater to do the same right. show at around the same time or in the same season. But there's, it seems like the way it was worded, there was really no protection from that happening. No, I don't think there is. And I know I've seen that, that area theaters do shows at the same time or very close to the same time, mm-hmm. certainly within the same season. Yeah, certainly. it seems like it's happened a lot lately. Yeah, and there have been overlaps. Now, I mean, you're probably sharing some of that audience, but you're not going to share all of it, so it's not necessarily an issue. But, yeah, I mean... If it can do, happen. Right. It's and a I, risk. And I, and I, and I kind of wonder if the uh, professional contract does include exclusivity. It very well may. Yeah. That um, will kind of bump you off if even mm-hmm. if you had applied. I don't know what the time frame yeah. of that, for that would be. But at the same time, I know there's stuff that the contract does include, which is not always followed. Okay. Things <laughs> like changes to changes. the script. Change, I mean, just changes in general, yeah. and the way publicity is done is sometimes included in there. And I know, uh, oh yeah, that's right. Is a, is well, that's even issue. information is even in the script sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when you have print materials advertising your production, the there's certain information that has to be on it. It has to be the font sizes have to be within relative percentages of one another. Yeah, I think it's it's very frequently the author's name has to be a minimum of half the size of the title. I, yeah, I know I've seen that Something before. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's usually described in the script copy. Yeah, and programs and that kind of thing, I think theaters usually follow it on that. But then if you get uh, theaters that do, like, postcards and things like that and uh, logos for the shows, logos technically should be including the author's name on them, but they mm-hmm. rarely do. Well, when we were designing the Hound of the Baskervilles poster, we had a couple different flavors of it, some mm-hmm. t- for a postcard, uh, others for a the official poster and things like that. So yep. that came into play, at least for the official okay. poster part. Yeah. We I were, know I've been doing the logo design at Barley Sheet for a while, and they've never had me include author names on the logos at all. No, that was definitely that time around we take took that into consideration. See, there you go. I guess some theaters follow, some don't. And also, if the logo uh, does not include the author's name, as long as the logo is appearing with the author's name, then it's not really an issue. <laughs> yeah, it was, a little, it was particularly tricky in the case of Hound of the Baskervilles because mm-hmm. – the script itself has the playwright author Tim Kelly, right? But based on it's based on right. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's. Mm-hmm. Uh, another tricky part with that was getting the title right. What? How's that? Because the official title of the play is Hound of the Baskervilles, not mm-hmm. the Hound oh, of okay. the Baskervilles. So, just yeah. little details that we I had to make sure we got correct. I think there was some there. There was a show that I did a logo for a few years ago. I want to say it was uh, Bingo the Musical or something like that. I don't, I don't even remember what the exact title was. I don't know if it was Bingo or a different show, but there was a musical that had that had V in it, and I didn't put V when I first designed the logo, and they went, oh, wait, that has to be in there. So, yeah, you definitely want to get your show name right <laughs> on your logo. Devil's in the details. That it is. But within the content of the play itself, there frequently are situations where a particular production in community theater might consider the need of changing certain elements of the script, right. such as pieces of the dialogue, mm-hmm. 
sometimes associated with casting yeah uh, are probably the most common kinds of considerations. Right, gender I think is is a frequent one. Where yeah, you end up changing uh, usually changing a male character to female. Right, that's a good example. Just due to the what you have available at auditions, but I mean we can certainly speak to certain dialogue changes with True West that both of us did. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. I mean, well, okay. So True West is originally scripted with a typewriter. Ah, yeah, good and point. both of us changed the typewriter to modernize a little bit. We changed it to a laptop, which required certain lines to be tweaked a little. Yeah, that's a very good point. It could be that you're not necessarily worried about, um, blanking on the word, controversial content, mm -hmm. just more so things related to the logistics of your production. If it's Right. Especially if you're Where doing you a play that it? was performed originally... Uh, released 30 years ago in right. this case but i mean i guess the, the other question particularly with true west was do you want this character who's the writer to be kind of old school and using a typewriter even if typewriters are obsolete at this point and right. arguably the author could say that hey this is how i designed it and you're not allowed to change it and i mean both of us we didn't personally sign the contracts <laughs> to not change that, but the theaters were under contract. And, I mean, neither, neither theater had a problem with it, and I can't imagine that the author would be, hey, you ruined my show because you changed it to a laptop. Well, he's dead now, so I don't have to worry well, about okay. it. Okay, well, then there you or go. Or his estate might come after yeah, us. Yeah, his estate might come after well, that's us. Well, you know, actually, this is a very good point because I remember at the time looking up, for True West in particular, looking mm -hmm. up, okay, um, I don't know how I found out about it, but there apparently was an attempt to do a female production uh -huh. of True West, and apparently it got shot down. Yeah. I know that a, a similar thing happened with The Odd Couple, where people kept asking Neil Simon, hey, can we can we swap out the men for women? And they kept saying, no, no, no. And then eventually he actually re released a rewritten script right. that had women instead of men. So there's a female version of that show. So, I mean, that could lead to that. But, yeah, they, they could certainly turn you down. But, I mean, I've had other shows where... Uh, that I've been in and even directed where we've changed, you know, like one or two male characters, non-leads to women just because of what we got at auditions. Right. Yeah. I remember Picasso, I think, was where. Yes. We changed up. up. Picasso's agent, was, uh, Sago, was originally uh, scripted as male. And I had somebody ask, like, would you consider a woman? I'm like, eh, I, I mean, I guess I would. And, and a woman auditioned who was perfect. And I mean, it added a different layer to the show and it changed I'm sure what Steve Martin might have intended, and it might have changed factual information because I don't know if Picasso had an actual agent and was male or not. <laughs> I, I did not read up enough on that and probably should have. But You it, think Picasso and Einstein actually ever met? Well, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, I mean, you got Picasso, Einstein, and Elvis walk into a bar, so right. does it really matter if you're going to change the gender of a character? Probably not. Yeah, but again, technically, legally, that's what you've signed on to do. Yeah, and I guess the reality with it in community theater is that the people signing off on getting the rights aren't necessarily directly involved with the production all that much. Yeah, I mean, so what the director then goes it, off and does, they're not keeping on top of it. But yeah. if you think about it, a theater could end up getting shut down over something like this. It's not impossible, but mm -hmm. I feel like these minor script changes that that we've made are just that minor, and I don't think that any production house is going to sue. A tiny community theater who couldn't afford to give them really anything for that it's just not worth it now when you're talking about videotaping wow where's that coming from over there oh. somewhere oh yeah i see it's interesting so we're hearing the same drilling or sawing that i'm sure you're hearing right now unless we filtered it out and you can't hear it i don't think we're filtering that out <laughs> 
but it's weird because we have headphones on, so I can't tell where it's coming from. The joy of outdoors. Yeah. So deal with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, so there's a video recording. Photocopying. Photos, photocopying scripts and all these other things that could be various levels of, <laughs> I don't know, offense. Bending slash offenses. breaking. Yeah. So where <laughs> do you draw the line if you do draw a line? Yeah, and I'd I'd venture to say that a lot of theaters probably cross the line in many yeah, respects. I I think they do. I think particularly I'm not owning up to anything. <laughs> well, particularly video recording, I know is done in a lot of shows. But I, the main issue, I think, and the main concern for these publishing houses, to the best of my knowledge, is that they don't want the videos getting out there. And if you search YouTube for shows, you see videos of yeah. them there. So that to me is where they go. Hey this has to be taken down and that's where the lawsuits and what have you might occur. But any shows that I've been involved with where videotaping has occurred, I keep saying videotaping, I'm dating myself, video recording has occurred. The youngins might not know what videotaping is. They might not. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, the video recording for any shows that I've been involved with is really just kind of a personal keepsake that, you know, years later you might look back on and go, oh, hey, I remember being in that show. That was fun. Same. Um, First off, any shows that I've been uh, generally been involved with that were recorded were done at a dress rehearsal, mm-hmm. not an actual paid performance. Yeah. And secondly, it usually was, if it was distributed, it was generally as a gift uh, to the cast and crew. Yeah. And that was it. I, I'll be honest, I have been involved with some where they have charged to get a copy of, of the recording, and I, having recorded shows myself and made copies of them, I know generally what the cost of that is, and they were not charging cost. They oh. were charging, they, they were making a profit on it. Wow. A small profit. But they were certainly making a profit on it. Yeah, one would think that's a big no-no. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't really comfortable with it, but I, and I don't think I bought copies of the show in that case. But if I've ever been more directly involved in it, it's it's been, yeah, a gift to the cast. Likewise. Yeah. And I think, yes, legally, that is pretty much inarguably an offense. But ethically, morally, I don't really see a problem with something that's just solely used as a keepsake or for people who are unable to come and see your performance if you want to show them it. Right. Um, I, I don't see what the issue is. I just, I think trying to word legally how you could legally record a performance would be very complicated, and I think that's why they don't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, as it happens... I have the Samuel French website open right now, and it has a knowledge base that addresses a lot of these questions that we're talking about right now. And what does it say about video recording? There are a couple things here. I'll I'll share different sections of it that's kind of covering over what we just talked about. Okay. So as far as changing the script, one of the first questions that came up was, do I have to follow the stage directions? Hmm. That's That's, a a no, right? Well— it says, you are not necessarily bound to exact stage directions so long as the author's intent is not compromised. Right. Some older scripts include stage directions from an original production. These right. are not required. Other scripts, however, include stage directions written by the author and should be honored. But well, how do you know which is which? How do you tell which? the difference? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you can, usually, you can usually tell because the, uh, the ones that are written tend to be, frankly, written better and more descriptively. Than with more uh, elaborate language. Yes, a little more flourish rather than, you know, like exit right, that yeah. kind of thing. Exit the, pursued the one, by bear. Yes. <laughs> Shakespeare reference for those of you who didn't catch it. It's also um, the name of a show, a very good show, I might add. Well, there you go. Uh, it's actually, I believe, Shakespeare's only stage direction that he wrote. Oh, really? Yeah. Exit pursued by bear. That's, That's from, what, The Winner's Tale? Uh, I saw a production of that I once, too. I believe so, yeah. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I find that the ones that are written by the author, you can kind of tell. But, yeah, I mean, realistically, how do you know or not? Well, I think this goes into, and if we talk about set design in a future episode, I think mm -hmm. that's... <laughs> it's all author's intent. And, and set design, you cannot, you usually cannot match the original production's set design sometimes you can get the exits and entrances in the same spots but probably not like oh yeah. my oh my god he wrote exit stage right but our door for that yeah, function yeah. is stage left oh yep. my god what do we do yeah. uh, well there's one other statement to answer this question okay. some stage directions must be followed explicitly and in certain cases you'll be asked to sign an additional rider which explains this requirement wow i've never seen that i have no idea what that might entail yeah, I, I, I don't either. I mean, that sounds like it would be pretty complicated to have to do that. But, I mean, I apparently they're out there. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. All right, yeah. let's see. Another question. How do I get permission to cut a play? All right, this kind of hmm. pertains to what we talked about earlier. Right. Please email your licensing representative with your proposed changes, and we will process your request. Please be aware that not all titles are available for cuttings. Yeah. Now, I know... Uh, there was a production that I was uh, acting in, and I won't mention which one it was, where the director made a large amount of cuts. She cut jokes that she didn't find funny. Mm -hmm. She cut, like, pages of dialogue that she just didn't think moved the plot forward. I mean, I I've certainly been involved with uh, Shakespeare productions where there's cuts, but that, that that's not an issue. That's public domain at this point. Yeah, I don't think he's going to come after you. No, probably not. If he does, you got other problems. <laughs> um, Might need an exorcism. Yeah, but I kind of had issue when when she made these cuts. But I guess for all I know, she had them approved. I I, I huh. really I didn't even think about checking and asking like, hey, did you get these approved? I didn't want to make trouble. I can't think of any production I've been involved with, at least with community theater, that actually cut out a significant chunk of the yeah. content. Th this was definitely by far the largest. Anything else is like you know maybe they cut out a couple of words for some reason like. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'll, I'll just be walking up these stairs when you couldn't get stairs on the set, that kind of thing. Okay. I remember uh, an instance in high school, we were doing Brighton Beach Memoirs, mm -hmm. and there's this one scene where uh, my character Eugene and his older brother Stan are talking about, well, pleasuring yourself. Okay. <laughs> so for high school production, I think the director made a wise move to just mm, cut that, that back, scene yeah. out. <laughs> that was, like, maybe a page or two. Right. We just skipped over right. it. Right, and I'm, and I'm getting, at most likely, Probably didn't get that approved, but I don't is that know. Really, is that really an issue? I mean, that's that's the question. The author well, might have taken. You might have had a bigger issue as far as I, exactly keeping yeah. it in, yeah, and having the principal shut down the school's theater department. I don't know. That that would be bad. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, but at least in community theater, I can't recall any instance of major scenes cut or mm -hmm. major sections of a script being cut out. Yeah, oh, I thought they were done with the song for a second. All right, here's another one. Uh, can I make changes to the script for my production? Uh, examples, uh, can I combine two characters into one? Mm -hmm. Well, that's something I never would have thought of. Can I change the locale of the play? Hmm. Can we edit out the bad language or references to smoking and drinking or any references to a deity? Oh. Can we play? Uh, can we change the play title? Wow. Can we change character names? That covers a lot. <laughs> we are an all-boys-girls school. Can we cast female parts with male actors? Can we change the order of the scenes? Can we add a dance or song number to the show? Wow. <laughs> These are things that never would have occurred to me, like yeah, yeah. people thinking of actually doing. Okay, so there's one answer to all of this. Those are just examples of requests that people might have made of things mm -hmm. to change. 
Written permission must be obtained from Samuel French for all changes to the script. It is a violation of copyright law to make any changes in the play for the purposes of production without obtaining written permission. Well, there you go. Otherwise, the play must presented or must be presented only as published in the Samuel French Incorporated Acting Edition without any changes, additions, alterations, or deletions to the text or title. These restrictions include, without limitation, altering, updating, or amending the time, locales, or settings of the play in any way. The gender of the characters shall also not be changed or altered in any way, for instance, by way of costume or physical change. Wow. So we were definitely in violation with Yeah, we've been screwing this all up. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, to some extent, we, we knew that this was a violation. It's just, you know, it's, I guess it comes down to under the radar. I guess technically what you're supposed to do is, for your production, if you're considering any of these things, you would have to submit written, requ- right. uh, written approval request. Now, I did, there is one show that I directed that I made whole-scale changes to. And this was one of the smaller publishing houses. This was not Samuel French, so for all I know, their rules are completely different. But uh, that was when I did uh, Treasure Island. And I'm not going to mention <laughs> the theater. You can probably figure it out if you want to, you I know, think you do alluded your, to this a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. You can do your uh, Holmesian research and figure out <laughs> where I directed that. But, yeah, so uh, the, the bottom line is the script was in my opinion, not that great, and it left out a lot of the original the original novel, novella, I don't remember what it was. So I went back to the source material, and I pulled dialogue from that, and I uh, added in a sword fight that was not, that there was no sword fight in the production of Treasure Island. I'm like, <laughs> how can you have a pirate show with no sword fight? <laughs> so yeah, I did make a lot of changes, and uh, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. I felt that the script was improved by what I did to it, uh, not a lot of it was anything original that I wrote. It was mostly just pulling from the original Treasure Island and updating it there. And I know the uh, Treasure Island is public domain. So, gee, maybe, well, that I should, helps. maybe I should go back and just write my own adaptation. <laughs> Might have been a better bet. <laughs> yeah, well. I mean, arguably, in the end, it options. was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of was my own adaptation in the end. I, I would say at least a th- I changed probably at least a third of that script. Wow. And I talked to the people, uh, you know, and the powers that be at the theater. And at first they said no. And then I told them what the production company was. And they're like, eh, all right. <laughs> because it is, like, as I said, one of the smaller production companies. But, uh, yeah, sometimes you just get these scripts. And I, and I guess the, 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 real, the reality of the situation is you shouldn't be performing a script that you need to change. But, yeah. I, I, but I mean, how realistic is that? I don't think it's very realistic. No. And... and- we alluded to it earlier, but when a script is first released, it's frozen in time. But yeah. in many cases, it's intended to take place in the present intended day. Intended to be modern, and I felt well, that was the deal with True West. Well, 30 years later, that's not going to be true anymore. Yeah. It's going to be dated. There are going to be dated references in it. Although at the same time with True West, there there was the you know the the typewriter laptop parallel. But there's a I whole think there thing. was also a there was a line somebody had might have been Austin about hmm. making reference to what things were like back in the the 1950s in this area. That yeah. was how the original line was written. I think in our production, we ended up updating it 20 years. I, I might have done that as well. I, I think I what recall. we decided you to did do, it more recently. we decided ours was going to be set approximately in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and that makes sense. And I might have done kind of the same thing because, uh, you know, what, what I started getting at was the typewriters we updated to laptops, but there's also toasters being stolen, which aren't really, you don't see as many toasters anymore. It's more I have ovens. I, I'm not saying you don't <laughs> see any, but... I think the toaster oven has more or less is more or less more popular these days. Regardless, there's that, and then there's the stealing of the televisions, 
And at the time, it was, you know, your heavy tube television. Now, yeah. who's walking around with a with a 40-inch flat screen <laughs> walking out of somebody's house <laughs> with kind that? Of, well, I think arguably that probably diminishes the author intent. But that, yeah. that's So I was trying to make a compromise, I think, by mm-hmm. not actually setting it in the present day, which would have been 2016 at the time right. we did it. So and by going what, 2004, seven, I want to say. 2007. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so kind of compromising it made it so that some of those references still reasonably worked okay. Yeah. Uh, but allowing for not having to go completely antique on everything. Yeah. It's kind of vaguely modern. Another show I uh, directed, Being of Sound Mind, was when it was originally released, intended to take place in the present. But when it was originally released was, say, 1981 or 1982. Mm-hmm. I decided to make it set in 1981 or 1982. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that works. Well, I think I felt like I had no choice because if it were set in the present day, the the story would not have worked, really. Yeah, well, it's a Boeing Boeing that I directed was originally written in the 60s, and, and I think it worked wonderfully to to set it in the 60s. Yeah. And, and as you said, the story doesn't really work as well if you try to set that modern because it's extremely misogynistic, and that humor gets lost if you try to modernize right. it. right. All right, so we were talking about videotaping earlier. There's another question about that on this website. You know, before we get to that, I'm looking at the at the time here, and I feel like maybe we should save this for next week. We can continue this discussion. Okay, yeah. Actually, we do have quite a bit more to discuss um, yeah. with recording and the usage of music in productions. Right, and maybe we can take a little break and that sawing will be done, or maybe you'll continue to hear the sawing next week. <laughs> but we do hope you'll tune You'll be in. wondering, has that guy been sawing for a week straight? Yeah. <laughs> But hopefully you'll tune in. You can give us some feedback at our website, backstage.link. Or you could email us at our email address, podcast at backstage.link. Or search for us on Facebook as The Backstage Show. So until next week, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And see you next time. Talk normally just so I make sure i got a good level for you. But I don't talk normally when we record this. So why would you want me talking normally now? I'm not normal. Okay, who's doing Welcome Ready? to the Backstage Show? And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We always have a problem with this. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Who's saying and Welcome to the Backstage Show? It is so nice out here. If Glenn clocks, clocks, uh, hits me on the head with this umbrella by accident, at least there will be video evidence of what happened. Excuse me. <laughs> That's going in the outtakes, I hope. It's all part of the charm. You can give us some feedback at our uh, website podcast podcast at that's that's not a website there's a lot of stuff that i'm like oh that's gonna be in the outtakes and then once i get around to actually piecing them together i'm like there's too much (laughs)